welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. It is a true Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, and we are talking about our favorite albums of the year, albums of the year 2022. Uh, we are celebrating our sixth year in existence. We have passed the 200 episode milestone, and uh, this is our sixth album of the year list um and it was a remarkable year for for music i think um you know we sort of i think the world regained its mojo a little bit and i think the uh recording industry regained its mojo a little bit and and given to that fact um our uh, our list of uh albums that we had to clip from the list is pretty extensive and pretty great uh, I'm just going to take a quick rundown of those, and then I'm going to turn it over to you guys. But um, our our uh, honorable mentions, so to speak, are CMATS, If My Wife Knew I'd Care, Panda Bear and Sonic Boom's Reset, Charlie XCX's Crash, The Beth's Expert in a Dying Field, my vote for Best Album Title of the Year. That's so funny. I was going to say the exact same well, thing. Title for sure. Ashley, Mc, Ashley McBride's Ashley McBride Presents Lindaville, which I highly recommend you listen to, if nothing else, for the uh, opening track of Brenda Get Your Bra On. <laughs> um, Planes, which I think we will, uh, in about three months, regret not having on our top 20. Uh, I Walked With You A Ways. Harry Styles' Harry's House, which was the soundtrack Tired. to my uh, vacation this year. Why Bonnie, 90 in November. Special Interest, Endurance, which uh, Jared and I will attest was the most depressing live show we saw all year. Um, Built to Spill, When the Wind Forgets Your Name. And Romero, Turn It On, which we will also regret not having in our top 20 very soon. But I'm going to um, go through our, our... We're going to do this incrementally. I'm going to list off... Um, five records at a time and we're going to highlight one from each and then at the at the end when we get to the top five the real stalwarts of the year we are going to just have a discussion about them so i'm going to read the top the uh the the back five of our top 20 and um turn it over to jer um so 20 is scissors sos then ezra Furman's all of us flames Daphne's Cherry, Mitski's Laurel Hell, and Wisebloods and in the Darkness, Hearts Aglow. So, Jared, talk to us about SZA. Yeah, sure. Um, happily. So, uh, I was glad this one made the cut. You know, you mentioned some great albums that didn't. So, this was kind of a late entry for for me in terms of, you know, it came out not that long ago. And it's um, SZA, whose uh, you know, birth name is Solana Amane Rowe, born in Maplewood, New Jersey. Shout out to Jersey. And um, it's just a big, lush album. You know, I, I feel like I, I listened to her first record. She's somebody who's kind of been floating around the music industry with a lot of hype. I mean, has done stuff with Kendrick, with, um, I mean, even like duets with like Bruce Springsteen, things like that. Like she's she's definitely like, you know, she was a gymnast, a cheerleader. Like I think somebody who is primed for... she's She's been anointed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Primed for success. And I think... The first record, you know, also has a bit of indie cred, right? You know, like um, in terms of 
loved by, you know, kind of all, you know, popular, but also has that kind of cool factor. And um, the last record I, I listened to, I didn't love, I mean, it was good. It, it was kind of a lot of the the themes of, of what was going on, you know, in, in music at that time, popular music. But the SOS record, to me, um, it was just, I think what I liked about it was just a huge surprise. You know, there was a lot of hype and a lot of our uh, other lists had the Beyonce album, you know, annoyed it as kind of number one. And I felt like this record kind of kicked its butt in terms of just scope you know it goes from like sort of it's iconoclastic it doesn't yeah stick joni to mitchell genre. type you know kind of folk to really great like you know um murder murder soul songs like kill bill which i think is probably like my favorite song right now it's, it's a great track with a great sample and um i just really tend to kind of be drawn into something that is is this ambitious and works and, and i think this is an album that if, if you guys haven't given it a spin like it's a good party album. It's a great, like, kind of just throw on, you know, on a Sunday afternoon album or drive album too. And, and I, I, I don't really find it to be missing much. So I was, I was pretty stoked on SOS and I, I think it's a, it was a big surprise. I wasn't expecting to like her as much as I did. And, and uh, I'm, I'm down with it. I don't know what you guys thought, if you have any takes on it. I, I think it's, you know, I think it's interesting. It's genre busting. And the funny thing about this, and I would say the same about a an album that's coming up uh, later on our list, is I, I kind of feel like the single is not the best song by any stretch. No, definitely. And I, I think that happens sometimes um, where, you know, I, I totally agree. But I think that this is an album that will have like five singles that do well. Um, yeah. You know, and she had kind of... Control was the first one, and I think which went platinum. So it's not like, you know, it's not like she doesn't have a huge she's audience. Out of nowhere, yeah, she's you, she's got an arena tour coming up. You know, on this one you have you know Phoebe Bridgers on it. You know, so there's definitely like touching all of the things. But she also was on the single "Kiss Me More" by Doja Cat. Oh, that was great. Um, I don't know if you guys know that. That's a great track, and so. I think SZA is kind of, you know, I think, like you said, anointed. She's going to be somebody that, you know, for years to come here, we're going to be hearing about her releases and, and having a ton of hits. She already, you know, has kind of put her, you know, flag in the sand there, just so to say. But, um, you know, more of this I'm, I'm stoked for. I think it's a it's a huge record. And I, I like when people just get out of their zone and, and go big. And, and it's definitely what she did cool. here. We'll move on to the next uh tranche of uh records yeah. um 16 through 12 again we're very very good at math so i have no idea if i can if i can name check one in that group of five that you just mentioned it would be daphne's uh cherry though um this is uh this is caribou's uh alternative moniker ego or um, DJ name, uh, right? persona what's that it's like his club. club moniker yeah whatever. caribou yeah, so exactly. This is his dance music or uh, sort of dance music um, like DJ name, but it's Dan Snaith, the uh, uh, perhaps the guy we should bring in to um, yeah to 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 crunch the numbers on our our <laughs> next podcast or our yeah, next. Yeah, isn't he a uh, PhD mathematician or something? <clears throat> yes, he is. Um, from yeah, actually, so is his, uh, so is his sister and his dad. Um, it's like it's it's pretty funny, um, that, but it makes a lot of sense that somebody like that lands in uh, lands in the world of electronic music. Um, but I would say like this this really sort of incorporates like all of the uh, best aspects of like you know I think 
glitchy like dance tracks of the last couple of years but packages it in a way that's that's just you know it, it's palatable essentially caribou right like yeah it's really um it's really awesome i, I strongly recommend uh taking a spin back through it and you'll recognize a few of the few of the melodies in there from everybody from you know new order to fat boy slim and stuff like that so well, his last album i was a huge fan of suddenly um I thought it was a fantastic album, and Home is still a single that I um, have on on repeat listen uh, to this day. So anyway, the next five uh, that we're counting down are uh, number 16, MJ Linderman's Boat Songs. Then comes Pusha T's It's Almost Dry, Alex G's God Save the Animals, Daisy's Out of Body, and the smile, aka, not Radiohead, a light for attracting <laughs> attention. Dork. So, Christian, I'm going to turn it over to you to uh, talk about a couple of these because this is kind of your, uh, this was, you know, pretty much your top ten. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so, I guess uh, I will, I will, you know, come at these in in order of, um, I guess that I'd rank them, but. Uh, you know, for, for on, on my list anyway, um, we had uh, it, like Daisy, Alex G, and and MJ Lenderman were were actually all next to each other at uh, four, three, and two, right? Or two, three, and four. Um, hope nobody's counting. Uh, and you know, let's start with MJ Lenderman's boat songs, um, which came out on on Dear Life Records. Um, as you all know, uh, indie rock is famous for its sense of humor and its love of sports. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think that that really couldn't be better, uh, better captured on this album. It's like he, he is sonically, I'd say, like a storyteller, um, a, a sort of a, a rock ballad like Midwestern style storyteller, like Songs Ohio. Um, I, I think uh, there's a, a real sort of like <clears throat> southern country element to, to his music that I love um, and tons of uh, sort of, you know, big distorted guitar sounds at the same time. Like, um, I was just really impressed that he managed to weave all of those sort of competing like goals together uh, in, in the same album and, and not make something like that, that based on that description was was just like kind of all over the place um it's uh it's a great listen end to end um and i think really kind of snuck under the radar um how about you what did you guys think yeah it's an album i i I liked it a lot and i think for the same reasons it kind of reminds me a little bit of a rockin' version of um and i'm spacing on the name but the guy who did the entire album about like the bar that he hung out in in terms of just storytelling and, and character and stuff like that and I do, yeah, I mean, I feel like it is a guy that, like, got some, there was some buzz around when it came out, but it, it seemed to kind of fade or, or not, you know, I didn't hear much about him in the end, um, at the end of the year, but it's an album I enjoyed listening to quite a bit. Yeah, there's a... Didn't there quite make a, the cut, but it was on the cusp for me. Same. And, um, it, you know, there's a there's a number of albums this year that came out, and, and I guess this is probably true of every year. It came out with the, this is definitely going to be on a lot of year-end lists, and it definitely wasn't. Um, but, you know, kind of that kind of album that jumped out at people, uh, I think it was very attention-getting, and um, people just, it kind of faded into the 
would work a little bit, but it shouldn't have. I think it's going to be another one that we uh, continue to listen to going forward. But uh, uh, give us a little bit on the other records that was in this particular... Um, yeah, so Daisy, I think, was um, was a real sort of, you know, it was the first, uh, I guess, one of the first records that, that I went, that I started sort of uh, listening to my, like, end of year um, sprint with, right? And it, it really just, I just got super pumped about this. Um, so it's uh, it's James Goodson from, from Richmond, um, Virginia, and, and came out on Lamo Records. Um, I think... Uh, We've actually got a uh, Jeremy's birthplace, by the way, Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, right in all. Yes, indeed. Maplewood, Richmond. Um, Let's go. Yeah. So it has all the best elements of like uh, sort of super fuzzy, kind of crunchy um, Beach Boys punk, right? That that if you liked uh, if you liked Michael Cronin, if you liked the Ramones, Sloan. Um, you're, you're yeah, you're gonna dig this album. Um, I think the uh, the the drums are are programmed because it's it's really just it's one guy who's who's put this entire thing together, um, which uh, I think Jeremy you know was maybe one of the the reasons that that it didn't make your final list. But from my standpoint, like these songs are as good as any um, as any I heard this year, and it really is something that plays like in the course of you know 30 or 35 minutes end to end and it's just super punchy every song is just full of uh, pop hooks uh, hooks, and you know it's it's really just it's very reminiscent of michael cronin too which is a you know one of our favorite albums from maybe our first list or second list yeah the two yeah i think I think it'll grab you right away, but some of the standout tracks are, are you know, Out of Body, on, which is the, the first one, Deadline, I'd say. Um, uh, Choose Your Ramon, which is pretty on the nose. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, it's, like, it's, really, and it's the, you know, the uh, distant cousin of I Want to Be Your Joey Ramon by, uh, by Sleater <laughs> Kinney. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, but, but you know what, like, it... It sets out the game plan like right away, which is this is what I'm trying to emulate. Yeah. This is what I want to do. You know, here are the reference points I've got. I've been sitting in my house for the last two fucking years, yeah. and like this is you know this is the album I'm gonna make. Um, and I think it, it like it pulls it off. It, it's just you you know what you're gonna get going in, and it's just delightful. Um, so I definitely recommend it. Yeah, cool. it's funny. I I end up always kind of re-listening to stuff after we do this pod because. In general, we have a usually a handful of albums that we're all enjoying. That's why they get on the final list. But uh, there's definitely things like this that didn't make my final cut. And you nailed it when you mentioned that. The one thing I just wanted more from this album was just punch. I just felt like the production was muted or something. Like, I don't know what it was. I just wanted to get like slapped in the face a little more with the sound. But it is a good record and, and definitely go back and check it out again. Well, it's one of these things also that I, I wonder if he tours alone or if he would get a backup band. Um, I think like you play any of these songs live with a full, with like full instrumentation and it, it's one experience. Whereas if he's singing and playing guitar and like st- and you know uses like a drum machine and has like one multi instrumentalist, it would be like a totally different thing. Um, but the 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 point stands right like that you want live drums on this because these are songs that that have drums it's just it's you know that said like i think actually the production's 
you know, pretty great. And, and, um, that's, uh, I guess, Justin Pizzaferrato, um, who is the co-owner of Sewn Lab in East Hampton, who I think, uh, is, you know, friends of friends. So co-owner with Mark Allen Miller, old, uh, old friend of mine. So, um, push a T I think is, you know, push a T and the smile, I think fall into the same category of like, give me more of the same. And, um, this is, this is, I'm just realizing the mid Atlantic bracket. Yeah. No um, shit. As <laughs> MJ Lenderman from Asheville, North Carolina, Daisy from Richmond, yeah. uh, Pusha T sure. from Newport News, and Alex G from Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, so there's going to be a lot of pack line defense here, a lot of uh, <laughs> yep. um, power eye. Yeah. So anyway, moving on, uh, the next uh, grouping of albums as we get closer to our favorites is. Oh. Uh, Kevin Morby, this is... Are a... we going to mention Alex G briefly? Oh, sure, so go ahead. I thought, uh, I just, yeah, I just wanted to, to... So, I think partly because I first learned about this guy, um, with Alex Janis Scully, uh, on this podcast, actually, um, from Will Krause. In your old and apartment, he was interviewing... Uh, yeah, yeah. The... I think he'd already had something like four albums. dozen albums uh, to his name <laughs> but um and that was uh, that was in 2016 but um you know he's he's really he's always just been an outstanding songwriter like he, the guy he's clearly just got an incredible gift and knack for um for unusual like chord progressions and melodies and um uh and structure right like song structure um, and I think one of the interesting sort of things that happens to people who are writing that much and like who are that creative um, is sometimes the amount of s- songs they can write um, and the amount of lyrics that they can write aren't actually uh, in sync. Um, and so you end up with like one outpacing the other, right? Like versus a guy like Bright Eyes or... or um, uh, you know Robert Pollard me out here, but like say, yeah, Robert people who, who can write too many damn Wizard, lyrics Wizard. and like, don't have enough songs. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, there's Ty I Siegel. mean, yeah, the the opposite is also true, right? Well, he's he's songs and not lyrics, but like there are also people who just write too many lyrics and not enough songs. Robert Pollard, um, yes. Um, and so you know, I think what's what's really cool to see um, is is those things kind of like line up. For the first time, uh, maybe not the first time, but uh, but really line up well, I think, on this album, "God Save the Animals," which um, was put out by uh, by Domino, and um, you know, I think part of it is probably his uh, settling into a, a slightly different um, stage in his life. I think uh, you know he's he's pretty settled at this point, um, and so there's like a degree of maturity and and sort of introspection that I think. Um, really comes across in a in a great way. It's uh, it's no less earnest than he's always been, um, but uh, but you know I think some of the the lyrics are really kind of um, touching and and uh, terrific. So um, I think this was yeah one of my favorites of the year cer- for sure. Certainly among the best. I think Runner being uh, certainly one of the best singles of the year as well. Yeah. I think this is a grower. Absolutely. This is an album. Again, that I will regret that I didn't rate higher, but um, you know, it found its way on, and so uh, I think um, you know it'll be uh, 
remembered well and will be continue to listen to it. Um, the next set, the next five, Kevin Morby's This is a Photograph, Dead, Control, Julia Jacklin's Pre-Pleasure, Spoon's Lucifer on the Sofa, Angel Olsen's Big Time, and Wet Leg's Wet Leg. Um, you guys were... Wet huge. Leg! You guys were huge on Dead, um, which oh, made yeah. me happy because I could be like, oh, you guys are going to a Dead show? <laughs> um, but uh, Jared actually did go to a Dead show and had a lot to say about it. He That's probably your most memorable year. Not his first. Year. Yeah, it wasn't no. my first, actually. Um, yeah, no, it was great. I, I, also, I like the this podcast. band. Right, former Nehigh and... Uh, Main, kind of the main singer, right? I mean, and yeah, even though Jason Bali, yeah, yeah. Jason Bali, and so him, he. What's the woman's name? Sorry, I don't have it in front of me. In the Emily band. Kemp, thank you. Jason Bala, and Eric McGrady on drums. Research by Christian Lewis, thank you. Um, appreciate it. Uh, no, so yeah, this this group, I like the the last release too quite a bit, and uh, Flower of Devotion, and they kind of just. This is Control, is the, is the album we're talking about, and and they basically have just that kind of like early post-punk you know kind of weird fragmented sound that's driven by like a drummer that was actually just a buddy of theirs um, who they like taught how to play standing drummers a la you know sort of jesus and mary chain or something Violent really films. great bass lines yeah. she's a force and and writes great songs and sings and then the guitar is kind of sprinkled throughout and and i gotta say like go ahead no, it's it's one of those bands like uh, Joy Division or Galaxy of Five Hundred where the bass is the lead, right? Yep. Yeah. And sorry, Blue Skies is the, the the last album. Messed up the title. I think the SZA album title still. But the thing about this record and and it kind of I loved it. Like Bad Love, I think is one of the best singles that came out this year. Um, I went to see them, and you know. Wynn and I have been talking about this a lot, just living in Boston, where we just don't have a venue for this size band right now, or the best one closed, we won't harp on it. So they were at the Royale in, in Boston, which is, you know, fairly medium size, and it was a, it was a pretty small college-age crowd, I would say, for the most part. And um, I gotta say, like, this band did the right thing, you know, and just sort of came out, was great with the crowd, put on a great show, and really actually endeared them more to me this year. But I also just, I love the sound. It's just a sound that I like. It's kind of, it's got space, yet it's got like a great groove. Um, I think the the male-female like interplay is, is awesome. And, uh, you know, the, there were a couple prior and broke up, you know, like a lot of bands seem to, but stayed together as, as a unit and as a band. Yeah. And it, highly, there's almost like a surf rock element with kind of a Susie and the Banshees underlay it's just a it's a band that i think uh hopefully they they keep going and uh i love this record and as much as i like the other one too flower devotion which i think didn't make one of our lists but was another runner-up christian i think this was your number one wasn't it it was yeah um you know i think it's in a lot of respects like as traditional and sort of stripped down an indie rock album as you can get um the themes are are super classic right it's it's like aching youth and and like you know they're cleverer than the high school bully and and um like sort of hints at at aspects of like self-destruction and you know i think 
it's it's something that really like deeply appreciates the sort of tradition and, and lineage of, of the last 20 or 30 years of, of indie rock. I think the genre um, is called but like, bass and angst. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, the the thing that really sets this album apart, I guess, to me was was the the restraint like shown in, in all of the musicianship. And I thought this was true of, of Knee High, too, um, which was that, like, you don't have, uh, you don't have really, like, powerful sort of fuzzy chords that are ringing out over the course of these albums like they're playing you know single notes um by and large uh on the bass and guitar simultaneously so you have this like point counterpoint melody that's like that is kind of winding through every song um and and then on top of that you've got right you've got three actually but it's not just so Jason and, and Emily both are, are awesome um, and have very, very different uh, like vocal ranges and sounds. She's got like a real kind of like punk rock urgency to her, to her voice. Whereas Jason's, uh, you know, I, I think he's a weirdo, you that, know, he's like just listening to that opener, right? Control is like a really um, excellent example of, of um, what he brings to it, which is just like, there's a sort of, purity of the sound right and like just an incredibly like uh um honest kind of delivery i guess uh but but yeah so you know you have basically you've got guitar bass playing individual notes and then you've got um where you get chords really is in like the vocal harmony sometimes and so when you hear you know the two of them playing or singing together um it's just like it has this incredible ability to like really lift the lift the song and actually i think eric mcgrady sings on one or two of these songs um and if i'm if i'm right about that i actually i should have looked it up but um but i'm pretty sure uh there's a third voice in there and he, he does a great job as well and i sort of th- he's like a ringo star style drummer yeah um you know the guy that like it's just you're not going to get crazy fills but it's it's old reliable um and uh it's exactly what you need and where you need it well the story um, is that they literally just like liked hanging out with him like he didn't play drums <laughs> it was like <laughs> But they're the both good enough musicians to be like, yeah, like here, yeah, do this, and then everybody I think can play drums. <laughs> at this point, he definitely has gotten to a place where he he can keep the the rhythm and the beat. But uh, one just quick thing from seeing them live too is is you get like a very it's a very weird uh, dynamic on stage because she's covered in tattoos and and like very I mean all the way through neck and face. Um, and you know a, a, just a striking force and, and comes across vocally too like very forceful and like you said kind of more the traditional kind of punk delivery and he's just kind of a goofball and and, and i mean that in a, a very good way like in and kind of a weirdo and one thing that i love which is cargo just slacks a, up to his armpits yeah just an aesthetic you know and like overall you know overalls and yeah. like just bouncing around the stage yeah the one aesthetic thing is is you know that I thought was kind of funny and cool. It was, you know, most indie rockers play kind of traditional like vintage guitars and stuff. And his his vintage guitars were like these like eighties fluorescent Ibanezes, which I was just like, I'm surprised nobody else is doing that. They're like, yeah, totally. Like just the, the and he's he's sort of doing like the plucky surf guitar kind of overlays, but it's like 
But I mean, like bright green, you know, clean as hell, you know, fluorescent fucking guitars, which I'm like, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's sleigh, that's like the new, that's the new cool, right? Like having a yeah. Jaguar, or a Jazzmaster is is not cool anymore. That's pretty funny. No, the sleigh, sleigh bells was always uh, uh, at the forefront of that, and actually, uh, uh, another band that we will, or another artist that we will cover is doing the. Um, uh, I don't remember what the guitar is. The the ZZ Top. Um, do you remember what that, which guitar that is? I don't, but I'm sure if I looked, I would know. Anyway, um, the other, I mean, a couple of other, uh, you know, sort of artists. I think that merit mention here are uh, Julia Jacqueline, um, who I think put out another great record. Um, the sort of specificity of her writing and her delivery is she's intense warm and personal and very i think it's great i mean she's very very high on my list i don't know that she was as high on y'all's list uh australian uh singer songwriter but um you know i think uh she was definitely on mine i like that album lydia wears a cross is one of my favorite songs of the year by you know by a lot and um has been on repeat spoon of course is uh julia jacklin's australian yeah did not know that yeah yeah i having listened to her last couple of albums i, I just never uh didn't didn't realize that hmm. cool yeah she's uh and, and fr- apparently kind of from nowhere in australia i don't think she's a city kid i well, think she's kind of a bumpkin easy to be from nowhere in australia yeah but uh um, not always but not easy from to not from melbourne from not that. from like the um yeah you know, I think, you know, the backstory uh, from what I've gathered is that her parents still don't understand how she can make a living making music. Um, but uh, somebody who I've really liked from, you know, from the first time I heard her. And um, again, another album where um, I think it grows on you with repeated listens. I think she's somebody who who really gets under your skin eventually uh spoons lucifer on the sofa you know i will damn them with faint praise and just say more good stuff by spoon you know um yeah i I think that that's the um i think that's the trouble with this record is that it sounds like a really really good spoon spoon album (laughs) maybe to, to to pause on this for a second i would just say like this could have been my number one frankly mm-hmm. like I, I liked it so much i listened to it all year it may be the one that i end up listening to most going forward like five years from now um it's it's just they they kill it yeah and um i, I don't think they've lost a single step this is like it's it's also it's, it's a way bluesier album than they've made before um but like i love that I, I'm, you know, it just makes me think. What else, like, what other genres can they play around in? Like, they're gonna make everything sound like a spoon record, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's definitely like, uh, uh, you know, they're they're trying on something new here, and um, I think it went real. I just think it went really well. Always does. I, I think the 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 one thing I will say about Spoon that you know, um, yeah, you know. When you when we talk about their consistency, and we talk about um, you know how they continue to put out good stuff, the one thing I will say about them is they are a markedly better live band than they used to be. 
Um, Definitely. Yeah. You know, they have. Yeah, they're great live now. They're really, really don't miss them live now. Whereas when Jer and I first started seeing them, and Jer particularly, who started seeing them in probably 25, <laughs> 25 years ago. Fuck. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, <laughs> you know, they were. I've seen them as a four piece, three piece, five piece, as you have. Um, yeah. I think the first time I ever saw them was at TT the Bears touring on. Um, uh, you know their their sort of comeback record. You know everything hits at once. Uh, Kills that album. Uh, what's oh, up? Girls can tell. Girls can tell. Girls can tell. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know I I remember them being just pretty static on stage and and not really. They're a band I've taken people to see and then been kind of embarrassed. Yeah. You know, like talked up a ton and been like, hey, everybody, you got to come see this band. You know, I, I think particularly when I moved to Chicago from Austin and, you know, they've been a big part of the Austin scene, obviously. And then, you know, dragged everybody out and people were like hanging by the bar, you know, because it was yeah. kind of like they were start stuff. And we saw them this year at House of Blues in Boston and it was like they're rock. They rock. They kill it. You know, it's. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing them. I believe it was like Passion Pits, one of their first live shows maybe ever as a band and um it was passion pit phoenix and spoon and both passion pit and phoenix blew spoon off the stage and uh that is no longer the case spoon is a great live band go see him and then you know the other two uh in this again in this tranche were uh, angel olsen's big time which um again i will uh I, I'll preface this by damning it with faint praise. It is a, it's an awesome album. It just never got under my skin as much. I think it's perfectly executed. I think she's a brilliant singer songwriter. I love the production on it. It's huge in the same way that one of Jared, my favorite albums, I am Shelby Lynn is. And at the same time, like it just, it sounds great. And, um, I don't feel as affected by it as I should. How do you guys think? I I mean, I really like it. I think it's all the stuff you said. I mean, I think it's an artist that's kind of, you know, you kind of are in some way listening to as they change and grow. And um, I feel like it's her most confident, her biggest record. I think I like it. I think it got under my skin more than, than yours. Um, so I, I, I I thought I thought this album worked on all fronts. It's an album that I actually listened to quite a bit. Um, I can't say that I, it like nailed me as much as like "Shut Up and Kiss Me" or something in terms yeah. of like just kind of raw, fun, like great, you know, in your face song. But as far as like, I, I found there was sometimes when a, a artist takes that leap, you lose something like lyrically or um, you know because they they focus kind of on production or yeah, like yeah. you know. But I feel like that didn't happen here. I feel like she kind of actually has her same kind of core, like, you know, personal raw sort of lyricism, just with a more, you know, Dusty in Memphis kind of no, it reminds band me a lot and, of, and kind of fuller band. Me a lot of, like, peak Ben Mink era Katie Lang. Um, yeah, who I'm less familiar with her albums. But, yeah, I just, um, I thought it was a great record. I mean... It's not my number one by any means, but it was an album that I think definitely deserved to be in the top ten. I listen to it a lot, and it's great through and through. That's the that's the other thing. And then you know another album that's really uh, great through and through, and and everybody promised would be on their 
top 10 end of year list is wet leg and it stood the test of time it's a great crazy weird uh i feel like this band is like devo i do too that's a great comp (laughs) like like, it just i don't know just came out of nowhere i'm not sure what's going on it's like i have yes i have no where did this come from (laughs) like i love white it's like it landed on some yeah, exactly. Um, you know, with its uh, it 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 sort of in a wonderful and like glorious way it feels like it landed on a spaceship, um, like or landed on Earth in a spaceship, and it's just like you don't. I'm not sure if I'm on the inside of the joke with them, um, but it's uh, it's really incredibly well done. And Wyndham, you were super early to pick up on this, and I I know like it took. Um, it, I mean, frankly, part of it was like the the hype was huge. Mm. Um, you know, they released a couple singles. Uh, obviously, signed with Domino, and and um, I, I think uh, it was months before. I mean, that was probably in October, November, and it was April before they actually dropped the album. I think. Um, well, the, so, the, the uh, single so there was a lot of time to build. Chaise Longue came out in um, June of uh, twenty twenty one. Oh wow! Oh, wow. That early, okay. yeah. Really? That I remember they played the. Mer- I remember they played the Merc here in like uh, September. They played the Merc. Um, I, I, I saw I a clip of that. And you couldn't even the, hear them singing. You were yeah. you were busy, but I was I was pounding on you to go see it because they played two nights in a row at Babies and uh, Union Pool. Yeah. Well, they also it was like uh, something that you saw on Instagram, and they had a single out, and I I do remember like you know hitting the sound on the the clip of them playing at babies or one of those places and you couldn't even hear the band like everybody in no. the audience minus the annoying fact that they had all their phones in their faces but um filming it but like the people were singing along so much louder than the, than the band was playing i think it's just really rare too that you get a group that has that hype has a great like really funny clever first single um first two singles really that are you know on the mark with sarcasm and, and humor sound good in style and then yeah in style and then they follow it up with a record that's actually hits lives up just to the as, i mean there's songs that i listen to on that record now that i you know i mean the singles are fantastic but like the whole record's really good and you know it's it carries over all of that same humor and, and kind of inside joke of that, two friends you know really kind of bantering and, and having fun and it's hard to do that it's hard to kind of capture that yeah you know what else it reminds me two, of now that you... I mean, the two friends who've n- never met anybody from the mainland. <laughs> I think the other like, the other band that it kind of reminds me of in a, in a weird way, because I feel like it's so outside of the system, is Scissor Sisters. Um, you know, when they first came out, I was like... Oh, that just feels, that just feels like a Broadway show to me. <laughs> it, I, it, like, it, in a... I mean, in a perfectly good way, but it's like, I, I don't... It doesn't feel removed. Um I, I was actually gonna say I liken it to um, Shamir, like that that 2015 album Ratchet, where uh, I, there were like one or two tracks that that were just total earworms, and like you heard them all the time, and and um, really really liked them. But when you actually like sink into the album, you realize, wow, this is so good end to end. You know, there are five more tracks that could have been the singles here, mm-hmm. in my view. Um, and, and that's just like, it's, yeah, it's, it's really rare to find that it's, it's such a like wonderful discovery. All right. 
Well, let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to do the top five. And I'm not going to announce them in uh, en masse. Backwards, I think we're going to, diagonal order. We're going to talk about them individually <laughs> because they are the top five albums of the year and they merit that. Let's take a quick break. Coming into the top five now, and Wyndham, uh, I think you're gonna you're gonna take lead on this one. It's uh, Steve Lacey's Gemini Rights, which was um, uh, a big album this summer, um, and uh, former guitarist of the Internet. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, uh, this is one we we talked about earlier. Um, if you were scanning, um, you know, the magazines, and you saw the name Steve Lacey. You might think it was an advertisement for a CPA, um, not the most uh, glam name on the world. But I and and also the album art was kind of uh, relatively misleading in a weird way. But um, it is an album that I've really grown to love over the past several months, and it has all these weird elements that kind of came together and and. You know, somebody, I think it was you, Christian, that said Stevie Wonder-esque. Um, and it does have a feel of, like, that period when Stevie Wonder discovered the clavinet and was just, you know, ripping albums left and right. But it also, to me, sounds very kind of early 80s and a reference point that I'm not hugely fond of, frankly. Um, there is, you know, when... The, you know my favorite bands the disco and funk bands of the 70s kind of went am easy listening uh, bands like cool and the gang and philip bailey from earth wind and fire it's got elements of those guys um but in the same way it is nostalgic and kind of makes the best of those kinds of records um or the best, you know, sort of combines the best elements of those records, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know. I'll kick it over to you guys, but it, it does have, you know, it, it's. It felt like to me when the '80s came around, 
And Christian, you weren't alive, and Jeremy, you weren't very cognizant. Um, a lot of my favorite acts, you know, the Stevie Wonders of the world, the Commodores, you know, split up and Lionel Richie came to the fore. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire went on hiatus, and Philip Bailey came to the fore. Um, all of them put out sort of soft rock keyboard driven records, and yet this album reminds me of those but i love it yeah i think um so sorry go the, ahead. the 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 selling point is that this is like the faded glory of a bunch of uh like disco era like <laughs> mega stars um is is a little it, it's confusing right because like I, I guess my question is about this would this could this be big 10 years ago i don't like know. would the world have been ready for it I have no idea. Oh, well, I was I was asking for you to speculate, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm, um, I'm actually confused. Uh, again, this is one of those ones where I heard the single, wasn't impressed, and then dug into the album and was impressed. And since then, the the single has become a real earworm for me. It's kind of buzzing around my head right now. Um, you know, which is bad habit. It was a number one song. It was. Uh, it, it's just a it's a weird amalgam of like stuff it, i'm not crazy about that came together and is an album that i'm crazy about i think he's i mean he's an interesting guy he's definitely i mean he's from compton originally he um learned got interested in guitar via guitar hero which is very yeah. somebody who was born in 1998 right you know um i hear what you're saying i think the stevie wonder thing is kind of a good analogy too because it's it's somebody who's rooted in like R&B soul music with, you know, some of the vintage like classic stuff always has like Stevie Wonder in particular always had an ear for what was going on modern I, style too. Like, I you know, the phrase you're looking for is what the Grammys call best urban. Contemporary. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. yeah, but it, that's actually not it. It's, it's, it's when, you know, like all those guys tried to make radio hit right. it's like at the beginning it's, it's like dawn of M- stevie dawn of in the MTV. sense always had the newest keyboard right so it, if you yeah. go back the production might sound a little off white but i actually compare like i'm just gonna talk about bad habit the single because it's a single that i heard in forever and um you know through my my kids initially and then it, it was just sort of everywhere i think harry styles as it was is really similar like neither yep. of those sound to me like Oh, that's a fucking hit, right? Innovative. But they, yeah, they just are almost like sneakily, whether it's however they produced it or what chords they're using. I don't know enough about music to tell you. But sneakily, they are the songs that soundtrack this year in a weird way. And like you can hear those songs, like you can hear the music from Bad Habit or as it was in anything, right? Ads like, you know, TikTok videos, radio, whatever. And they work. And I think like these guys are, or at least in Steve Lacey's, case who you know he's written songs for Solange he's done stuff with Kendrick like uh Frank Ocean I think you mentioned earlier like he, he was a guitarist on Vampire Weekends last there's record. something that he's blended that is really particular to today 2022 that works what and it, it's kind of a mix of all that stuff like the 80s shit that you know when you and I probably cringe over and, and you more than I you know 80s soul music I just and called then, to say I love you yeah yeah, exactly. Which to me was like a song I probably like is more endearing to me because I I was young then and I was just like, oh, I love that song, you know. Um, 
but it is that era. He kind of nails that. And, and that stuff is really back right now, right? I mean, they're really into, <laughs> just the kids these days are really into like, you know, early 90s and, and 80s soul music and R&B and like that sound. Is and really soft big. rock. I yeah, mean, exactly. you, you yeah, think right. about Mount like, I wanna, was... when we talked about Christine McVie last week, um, you know, I want to be with you everywhere is like, you know, the soundtrack to this year. Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't, but that's what this kind of feels like. But he makes it modern. And I think that's the same thing here. You know, I think, I feel like that as it was singles does the same thing. Like there's something there that is, is modern, even though they're, they're kind of rehashing the sound and, and. I think this album was surprising too. I don't know what the album cover made me think. I think I thought it was going to be more like hip hop or something. I have no idea. But like, I definitely wasn't. The internet had some songs that were catchy, and I think they had some hits as well. Um, and that was sort of his jazz band friends from high school, if I'm correct. And, you know. I think he was in um, high school, yeah. Yeah, I think they were in high school. And then, you know, he played on, on the Vampire Weekend album and, and got a lot of buzz. But yeah, this record, I, I agree. Like, it didn't. I listened to it when it was first getting a lot of hype and two was uh, not like, wasn't something that I kept listening to, but Bad Habit did sneak into my head, you know, constantly. And, and I went back to it and, and really thought it was, it was a pretty incredible album. Pretty great. Hmm. Well, next up, our number four record is uh, another in the, uh, in the vein of Spoon is Consistency is King. It's uh, spiritualized. Everything was beautiful. And I will, uh, I'll take a, a mildly hot take, a, I guess a lukewarm take, and say that I think the lead track on this album might be Spiritualized Best Song. And it is basically the distillation of every Spiritualized song into one song. Um, what do y'all think? That is a hot take. I don't think that that's Spiritualized Best Song, but I agree with you that, like, in the sense that when the when the backup vocals, like finally hit and you um you realize that you're in like a doo-wop song from the 50s uh that's that's been like riding this you know it has like a morphine um, haze doing wave it. of acid <laughs> yeah exactly it's i mean it's funny we we haven't talked about this like between the three of us once and i think we all would have come up with like almost the exact same uh description of that track morphine. but like <laughs> the thing i the vocals are really clear on this. Um, and I kind of liked the distortion of, of the last, you know, uh, half dozen records um, that, that they were a little bit like, le- it was a little bit less singing. It was but then the again, decks. you know, yeah. I think it, yeah, I think that it, it was another kind of hazy, distorted instrument. Um, but at the same time, like, I think this is probably keeping, keeping in line with, with, you know, a direction that we've seen a lot of popular music go in the last couple of years where like partly because people were recording at home um, and granted, I'm sure his home studio is a little nicer than the most, but um, it's uh, his home studio is a hospital bed with a morphine drip. I think that's actually, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I was reading a, an Annie. interview um, that, that was actually describing the fact that his apartments on, uh, on a, like on the main route to a hospital. So, um, <laughs> You know, he, he obviously has hundreds and hundreds of tracks that he's recording on Pro Tools all the time, but he's like, yeah, they're just ambulance, like, ambulance sounds in the background oh, of, like, that every cut of records that I... Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I, I, so, I didn't want to spend a ton of time on spiritual eyes just because, like Spoon, we have uh, rhapsodized yeah. endlessly about how much we love them over the course of time. And, uh, you know, his former bandmate um, was on the honorable mention list with Panda Bear. Um, so, uh, and one of Jer's favorite records this year. But um, next one is Jer's favorite record of the year by a very large margin. Um, I didn't hear, I mean, I heard endlessly how much uh, you love this album, and it's always is Blue Rev. Take it away, Yeah, dude. definitely. It's definitely my most listened to record of the year. Um, I think, hands down for me, the best record of the year. Actually, like, I could definitely, I liked a lot of stuff this year, but I really didn't put treads on anything as much as this and um for those of you that don't know always is the you know originally nova scotian band and uh um who's now based out of toronto this is their third album molly rankin um is kind of the lead singer songwriter but it's very much a band and uh kenny rankin's daughter by the way yeah right from the rankin family the the traveling celtic folk group but um she's got an amazing voice i I liked all their albums thus far so this is the third the first one was the um self-titled anti-socialites came out in i think uh 2018 and then um blue rev the new one um this record to me kind of nails like stuff that we've been talking about actually you you mentioned a couple things in that spiritualized segment christian that i think this album has and um but is way more ear candy friendly to me. I love the spiritualized record as well, but you're definitely gonna get one thing from Jay Spaceman. And, um, you know, these guys kind of create to me like sixties, like Renette's like just pop songs. And then, you know, add a little like my bloody Valentine, um, some, you know, organ and, and backing vocals and fuzz and just create like these short, fuzzy pop songs that that really transcend and 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 i think lyrically too like um you know one of the first singles that kind of caught people's attention was the you know arch marry me archie and and her delivery and the way she delivers lyrics uh, over a tune i think are just really stand out i mean um easy on your own pharmacist they just have these kind of devastating chord turns too that that are are really poppy but also melancholy um it's like a everything i want in in music really i mean it's i like the lyrics aren't embarrassing at all they're actually quite good the tunes are there um i tend to you know kind of like fuzzy psychedelic you know shoegazy stuff but songs about the go-go's yeah it's it's yeah i mean it's really like the go-go's in my bloody valentine had a baby you know um so it's an album that I just I fell in love with right off the bat. We got to see them live. Not the most charismatic band live. They definitely make up for it in, in, a, in a light show that, that kind of skates over them the whole time. And but they're really good. And yeah. really, you know, actually the songs rock out quite a bit. And you also realize how much um, the rest of the band, the, the other gals in the band, um, Carrie McLean and, and Sheridan Riley and Abby Blackwell actually sing yeah and lead vocals you don't hear that as much on the album i mean you can kind of hear it but it's, it's a little muted over with effects and stuff well, you, you think that it's you think that it's um you know layered vocals her layered vocals but it's actually the entire band singing together definitely and they're and they're great and i mean these guys have been 
from album to album. I think all three of their albums are really good. I think this one's the most complete in my mind. And just, yeah, a record that I, I couldn't go without this year. Once I heard it, I was I was in. I, I love the singles, you know, uh, Brenda says and all those, which I think Pitchwork called the, the number one song of the year. And um, song, song about the Go-Go's. Yeah, there you go. And uh, but it's it's just a record that, yeah, kind of melds all of that perfect sort of melancholy longing, longing for relationships and things like that with all the sound that I, I really enjoy. So I, I know you guys didn't like it as much as I did, but uh, what's your take on the Always album? It was my number three, so I'm not going to say that I didn't like it very much. I, I loved it. I just, uh, it wasn't uh, as far and away my favorite as it was for you. I, I definitely love it. I think it's great. See, not a fan. You liked it? No, I'm. I, I actually. I mean, it. It wasn't. Uh, it. It wasn't the standout that it was for. Um, for you guys, but. Uh, but I think I also probably didn't spend enough time with it, and I'm excited to go back to it. Um, after this. Well, the next one is actually an album that I'm surprised that um, you guys were as much in concert on as I was. Um, a band I saw in concert actually. Uh, early in the year, but a uh, hooray for the riffraffs, life on earth, which, uh, funny, Alyssa Segura, who is the, you know, the one, Alinda, Alinda, sorry, uh, Alinda Segura, um, the one consistent member throughout. And this was, I believe her seventh album as hooray for the riffraff, um, a, uh, New York city born and, uh, current resident of new Orleans. Um, uh, she claimed that she felt like this was her first album. She said, uh, you know, I sort of worked out the kinks and this is the great one. And, um, I kind of agree. I, I, we had her on our list a few years ago, um, cause I thought her last album was very good, but this one, uh, I think took a turn in a positive direction that, you know, was circumstantial i mean uh you know substantial and um i think i I don't know i was surprised you guys had it as high on your list as i did but you did so what 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 did you like about it christian i so i thought it was cool i mean so the last time we had her on one of our year-end lists was um for the navigator in 2017 and i think that that felt very much like a folk record to me yeah um you know it was political it was smart it was uh it was clearly it's it's her right it's not a band although she always talks about them as if it's a band um but i think like there was verse you know there were like hints of versatility there that that she was gonna you know that she had like more range than that um and in this i think it's like uh it's just kind of genre busting like yeah, her songs are written like folk songs in some respect. Um, but there's punch on this one. songs. Yeah, absolutely. And there are electric guitars and there's synths uh, and, like, you know, all kinds of cool analog sounds. And, like, um, I, I think, you know, she's she's just got, like, uh, it, again, somebody who's clearly absorbing just musical influence from all over the place um and then sort of serving as this like really interesting kind of prism 
um, for for how that you know comes back out of of an album like this. But but again, it's it's like one of these things where I listen to it from end to end. I feel like I've you know been taken on a kind of tour of the world, but like ultimately think that the 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 like the empathy and in, in the writing and all of the the songs is sort of what keeps you grounded in one place, right? Yeah, well, I think too like. You know, this is an album that is unapologetically preachy. Um, it is an album about global warming. It is an album about climate change and, you know, kind of apocalyptic. And at the same time, it's enjoyable. Um, it's not, uh, it doesn't feel like homework. It feels like a, a great record that you want to listen to all the time. But it is, you know, let you know loaded with message and um you know her vocals are great her guitar playing is great her i did see them live and they're a good band they're a really really you know tight outfit absolute absolute pros it doesn't surprise me at all um when i said that i didn't see them as a uh a band i mean it's it's just her no it's her vision uh, her, her personality is yeah exactly she's she's drive she's in the driver's absolutely seat, but it you know the funny thing is though i you know i think new orleans has become the new brooklyn has become the new nashville it's like there are great players everywhere and, and a lot of acts are moving there our, our old friend you know and in many respects, I think New Orleans, like Nashville, and perhaps not in quite the same. I mean, whatever. New York has everything. Um, and Boston has a bit of everything because of the the um, conservatories up there. But like New Orleans and Nashville have are, are unique in the sense that they represent an entire genre single handedly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so every truly great um, pl- like player who's who's not, by the way, aiming for fame <laughs> like you know if you're but if you're the best if you like, want to be a working jazz, and trumpet, living musician it's still a cheap place to live be. yeah yeah and i also i think, would say uh, this is kind of the the equivalent to the mitski album the last one the um mm-hmm. be my cowboy you know in terms of like what you were saying like fully this is the album she wanted to make and and was kind of like you know i felt like this was working towards yeah coming out because i i felt like the mitski record was it wasn't we all liked Mitski prior to Be the Cowboy, but then it was like, whoa, this is like the next level. And I feel like that this is how it came too. together. Yeah. And this, and in the same sense, too, talking about a lot, like you mentioned, talking about a lot of big themes that can kind of beat you over the head or be somewhat depressing or be, you know, like a little bit preachy. She just does it in a way that's like delivered with a cool and like a confidence that's great. And, and quite like the Steve Lacey record I referenced before, it's, uh, I think the single was my least favorite song on it. The uh, song she co-wrote, Rhododendron, with um, Jim James, is actually Jim the, James, yeah. the song that I, I find kind of uh, interrupts the, the greatness of the rest of the record. I like that song, but yeah, I, I hear you. It definitely has a slightly different sound. All right, well... Um, with that, we... Take it to our number one, right? We sure do. Number one, USA. The number one record for the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast this year uh, was my actual number one. And uh, obviously ranked high on you guys' list as well. It's uh, Sasami's Squeeze. Uh, Sasami Ashworth's second album, 
which um, again, kind of genre schizophrenic, um, partially metal, partially industrial, partially folk rock. Um, I'm I want to talk about this album as much as possible because I want to convert folks, but I want to hear what you guys have to say about it because I don't think we've really talked about it terribly much. So I've, it, I, yeah, I, I think um, I absolutely loved it. Uh, it's short. It's fucking weird. You think that you're, uh, first of all, like the name sort of means nothing to me. Like you, then you match the name with the cover and you think, okay, this is going to be like a metal album. Um, then you listen to the first track and you think, okay, it's more of a punk or industrial album. Um and then you get to the second song and you think it's like, I don't know, another Mitski record or you're listening to, uh, you're listening to, you know, Spotify on shuffle, um, which is like the best praise I can give something that's, you know, delivered like two great tracks. And I'm like, how did this come out of the same band? Um, and of course, Sasami is the name of Sasami Ashworth. Um, who's who's the the uh, the artist in, in question here? And um, she is a uh, classically trained French horn player. Um, but uh, I actually knew her first as the sort of bassist, multi instrumentalist for Cherry Glazer, who, much as I loved, um, and went to see a bunch because you know they were a ton, really fun, good punk band. Um, it wasn't it, it wasn't immediately obvious that there was that level you know that there were that many dimensions to the group um it, it seemed like they had uh they sort of fit into a a, a certain um a certain genre and a certain attitude that was like decided like very definitively kind of punk i think um and it's really wonderful when you discover that um a you know a a, a, a I don't want to say a secondary member of, no, of a band, the, but like the, not not the lead of a band, right? Like the bass player of the house, fully actualized. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and you know that you discover there's just like uh, there's this voice that just gets unleashed, um, and all of a sudden uh, you you think, oh my god, you know. And look, everybody starts somewhere. Everybody starts as. Um, uh, as the basis for somebody, but um, it's just awesome to see how she's coming to her own in this. Um, and I would also just check that, like, once again, Ty Siegel, who has never touched anything that I didn't like, um, you know, anywhere in the world of music, it's like uh, he co produced a ton of songs on this. Um, and he's just, like, the, you know, an incredible. Um, uh, scout for um for musical talent uh and i think you know if you just sort of if you do nothing else like allowing him to guide you through what's good and what's not um by virtue of uh what he's involved in is is not a bad way to do it um and i think she like him has just an incredibly broad like set of interests um and a lot of them are explored on on one record and it works yeah i think this record was one when as we kind of tend to do all three of us just sort of shoot text to each other and say hey check this out or whatever 
this is an album I listened to. I think you shot me the text. Like, check it out. It's it's pretty good because it's almost like a it, it, exactly what Christian said, right? The album cover, the first track, like it, it throws you off. It tries to throw you off the trail, like you know, I think that's all purposeful. around. Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah, it was her trying to you know kind of you know whatever uh, channel a white metal band you know or whatever. But like, but the. Um, and then I, I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is like really intricate and really interesting and actually really fantastic. Like, I love it. And then I forgot the name every time I tried to like go back to it or like I knew the album cover or I knew the, you know, like that it started with an S. And I just it was like one of those groups that I can, I think I asked you like multiple times, like, what is that called again? Like, which is, is yeah. funny, you know, because it's something that I really liked. And then I just it it throws you like i said it threw me off the trail multiple times but every time i went back to it i loved it so one of the things i, I think i'm really excited about with sasami is it, it, the chance to see her i assume this thing is is it, like jerry glazer was awesome live um i assume that's going to be true for for sasami as well i've seen her vi- i've seen videos of her live and here's actually yeah, the, the video for it, the greatest is pretty good actually too the, the yeah that is really funny but the, the, the interesting part is, and I, I don't know if you all know the backstory, but um, she lives in a house in um, in L.A. with King Tuff, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, and the, the Hand Habits, uh, the woman from Hand Habits. So, um, you know, it's very They're wailing guitar solos. Yes. <laughs> and he is from Vermont. And the reason that is, uh, you know, um, germane to this conversation yeah. is he took Sasami to a show of a bunch of his friends who are in a metal band uh, from Vermont. And she saw them and took them on as her backing band. And the reason that I love this album so much is that there are these, there is that opening salvo which is kind of a new metal um reappropriation of of new metal sounds but even on the greatest and all of the sort of tracks that are more um singer songwritery um there's a metal backing totally so the yeah. greatest is like this very appealing clean sounding song but it's a fucking metal backtrack if you listen to it and it's you know it's a really funny it's it's a neat trick um for lack of a better you know way of expressing it but she's got i mean she herself is a shredding guitarist um obviously a classical musician also a shredding french hornist oh yeah she's like the chuck mangione of indie rock but um (laughs) but you know Actually, that was a flugelhorn. Um, but even on even on the mellow tracks on this thing, there is this wall of metal in the back of it that that buttresses it that I find so fascinating. You know, it took me a long, it took me a number of listens uh, to the single, the greatest. Put your finger on what it was. That... Yeah, because it's a really heavy track. I agree. Yeah. No, and then the video kind of plays on that, and that's actually where I mean, you told me that post, but I, I you, you, I saw the video, and the video is great. It's like a total like early like nineteen eighty two like, you know, uh, new or whatever they were calling them like hard rock metal, you know, quiet ride or something. 
video, but it yeah, kiss with and a, it's with like a, with a twenty, you know, the two thousand Christian hates this more than anything kind of limp biscuit guitar sound. Right, right. But um yeah, it is weird. There's some this whole album kind of struck me as that. I, I thought it was like there is something you can't put your finger on. I think it very much is on purpose. And I almost feel like her next album won't sound anything like this, right? You know what I mean? I, it's like I feel like it's one of those like just experiments that really works. It's it's funny that you say that because I have this my working theory is this that, you know, she's a very um She's got good taste, and she's got friends with good yeah. taste. I, I assume she's going to double down on the parts that work best. Well, here's my theory, is that she is very she's very much of an extrovert. She's a good performer, um, but I think she's a little self-conscious. So I think the first album dialed down the vocals too much. I think it's a, you know, a really good shoegaze album and re- has really good tunes, but her she was, I, and again, this is a theory, not anything i know but you know the the her she's got a beautiful voice and the vocals were kind of dialed down this one the vocals are more forthright but you know she does a little bit of like obfuscation there's you know some new metal songs there's an industrial song there's a weird daniel johnson uh cover and i think the next album may be the full realization of Sasami, even though I think this is the best record of the year. Yep, I think that's right. I, I think I got excited about it for, for very similar reasons, which is just like, I think this is opening Pandora's box for somebody that we're, we're going to be pretty excited about for a long time to come. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's, it's always, that's always an awesome uh, awesome sort of feeling. Um, you just, there's like a lot of, Excitement. uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought it was cool. I didn't know, so, uh, I knew when it would be on tie on your list, but I think when I went back and, and listened, uh, you know, you listened to the albums, it was a big year for music since everybody was kind of stuck last year. Right. And we had a lot of kind of similar sounding albums that were a little bit on the slower, kind of more introspective side. And, it was great to kind of go back and, and refine this one for me at least, um, and then have you guys kind of coincide with with enjoyed it as much as I did as well. I know when it was your number one, and Christian it was, it was definitely obviously high on your list and mine. So I think we had a, uh, a good pick this year. You're the one that wants to go, leaving me on the outside now. Burn it slow, let me drink the smoke, and that's the strangest part at the bottom of a wasted heart.
All right. Should we uh, end this podcast the way we end every podcast? Every podcast. Yes, we should. And I'm going to do this as a form of cruelty. Christian, what are you listening to? <laughs> oh, well, it's funny you should ask. I'm very prepared for this. Um, so I actually, so I think for um, uh, <clears throat> just stalling here, pulling up some notes. Um, ah, yes. So I've been watching the English. Uh, I think this is a pretty great show. Show. I'm not sure how much it gels as like a, a full season of, of television, but it's certainly like it's um, it's really outstanding uh, performances by Emily Blunt, um, and I, I think uh, the concept for for those who are um, unaware is is uh, an English woman who's basically seeking revenge in the American West in the 19th century. Um, but also put together by um, by the producer and writer of um, and director of, of uh, the the Honorable Woman, um, which was a Maggie Gyllenhaal show from a couple of years ago that, that we were all huge fans of. This is very different. Um, I am always hesitant to say something is I don't know Tarantino esque because I feel like it's a throwaway way of describing something that's just weird and out of step. Um, but I will say that like there are certain aspects of the cinematography here where you know you have really wide still camera angles um that capture uh really sort of gorgeous landscapes but there's not a ton of like camera movement um and jeremy is is sort of the the expert here and so i i will be excited to listen to um his take once uh once he's seen it but um i would definitely recommend it to everybody i think it's uh it's a sort of a series of very cool vignettes that are well written and get you absolutely sucked in, um, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense as, a, as an end-to-end season the way that I was anticipating it would. Awesome. Well, that is a shocker that you were prepared, and uh, <laughs> I, was... I actually I applaud your your uh, recommendation because I'm liking it too, and I'm not sure why. Um, Tara, what are okay. you listening to? Um, yeah, no, first of all, I definitely want to check out that show, and and both you guys now have said it's good, which I trust, so I'm excited to kind of watch it this week, but, uh, I'm actually going to go to a book, and, um, I picked up, I was looking at, like, sort of the non-fiction best of 2022, and, um, I, uh, picked up a book called Cultish by Amanda Montel, um, and it's an interesting take on, like, you know, our obsession with cults and, and all things, you know, uh, tragic, I guess, to some degree, but talks about the language of cults more than anything. And it's, it's really, it's a good book. It's, I think you guys would both enjoy it. Um, you know, definitely hits the, the greatest hits, the Jonestowns and the, um, Branch Davidians and all that stuff. But it also just talks about kind of subtle cultish language and how much it's used in, in everyday language, you know, everyday kind of messaging. Right. Yeah. So, you know, from CrossFit to, you know, actual sort of harmful cults and things like that. And, uh, she just does a, a great job of, of bringing to light, like the idea that brainwashing actually isn't real according to most, you know, sort of people who study cult behavior or, you know, kind of group think and group behavior. It, it's really just language and, and kind of, you know, the way that they sort of all have this systematic 
way of, of converting you into a style of speaking from AA, which, you know, does good things for people or bad things, whatever, for to, you know, um, to Jonestown. <laughs> and, and that actually the Jonestown worlds are, are a little more rare than you think. And, and, you know, even something like drinking the Kool-Aid has become part of everyday language, which is actually kind of tragic if you think about it. You know, it's kind of harsh. Also, also, um, freak, also almost, you know, universally misused. Right, that's what like, I mean. Yeah, nobody that's actually she, wanted to drink the Kool Aid. Drink the Kool Aid, exactly. That's well, that's what she's saying. You know, it's it's actually like you know something that we've turned into this kind of phrase that doesn't even Makes bring sense. it back to what it actually should be. You know, and and uh, but yeah, so that's one um, that I, I've been enjoying. And then I actually on and off will listen to uh, the Bandsplain podcast, and I, I there's a band that kind of escaped me in the '90s that I still escapes me. And it's a teenage fan club who um, I just don't love, but I know people my age and, and kind of who tend to like a lot of the music I like really dig them. And the most recent episode is on them, and it's Ben Gibbard um, from Death Cab talking about why Teenage Fan Club is his favorite band. I still don't love Teenage Fan Club. I respect them, but I do enjoy listening to him, and I think he's a really smart uh take on just music and, and I like listening to other artists kind of talk about why they're obsessed with something and, and so um, it's worth it for that I think Ben Gibbard's pretty uh, smart guy and great guy to listen to and, and we're like three months apart so some of the references there age-wise that is um, are very much how I discovered music or got into different music and, and things like that so it's worth checking out cool well I am also going to go with a book um a book that I'm uh, about 80% of the way through, but I, I think I can um, recommend without hesitation. It's uh, I, I, I ended up on a lot of year-end lists. It's called um, Stay True by, and I'm going to probably butcher the name, but... Uh, Hwasu. Yeah, Hwasu. Um, I, that's how I was going to pronounce it, so thank you. Um Oh well, I've just make uh, made you seem um, culturally insensitive, which was my goal. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, the, uh, I I just picked that up too, by the way, at your recommendation. So I'm psyched to read. Yeah, it. I, I really like it. It's um, it's a very intimate account of a friendship, um, and I spoil nothing by telling you that, um, you know, this guy's best friend in college was murdered. And in a you know in a very random manner, and it's um, I have to say like the beginning of it, you know, kind of hooked me because it's about you know a guy who's trying to figure out his identity by virtue of what he likes, you know, in the great uh, you know sort of uh, um, tradition of high fidelity. You are what you like. Um, big pavement fan, but. It's after the murder that it really gets, um, I think, remarkable. Um, it is, uh, you know, a rumination on on friendship and relationships, and and you know what happens when tragedy strikes and when tragedy is random, and how you try to find meaning, and that part of it is really appealing. Um, uh, and very, very, very well written. So um, I, I'll leave it at that. Um, I try not to uh, over-explain, but um, 
what song would you like to put on the six billion top ten songs of all time, Christian? So I think I'm gonna go with "Runner" by Alex G. If it's not already Great. on there, it's not. Nope. My runner, my runner, my runner. Jer. I'm going to go with my fave album as well. I'm going to do Pharmacist by Always. Sweet. I'm going to not uh, be current. I'm going to, in memoriam, uh, go with one of my favorite uh, bands of all time, one of my favorite artists of all time, uh, Terry Hall, who sadly died this week um, after a very brief and aggressive uh, bout with cancer. And um, a song that had kind of resonated, you know, very much resonated with me when I was young, but I got reacquainted with when I watched Adam Curtis's Can't Get You Out of My Head, and it's Do Nothing by The Specials. Great song. Um, a very short, succinct, very unusual song that I just think is. Uh, a beautiful a beautiful piece of work nice with that i think uh you know farewell to a to a real great so yeah sadly um, yep well until 2023 guys well two other um, greats both of you talk soon <laughs> happy new year yeah, jesus <laughs> happy new year everybody I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>